Okay, so today we're going to be speaking about biblical inerrancy. I've given out... Who doesn't have a note? Sandra, you've come in. You didn't have one of these. Um, there's, I've got a couple more if somebody needs... If somebody, You've got the official copy there, I think I gave you. <laughs> That's the copy that every other copy was made from. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so what do we mean by biblical inerrancy? And why is it important? What significance does it have... Um, in this study, one of the things that we've been doing kind of early on, um, one of the reasons that, that we've, I've kind of kept the ordering that I have kind of as we've kicked this thing off is that I feel like these early ideas are foundational and all of the other things that we'll be talking about in the weeks and months uh, to come will be, will be founded on top of the ideas that we're kind of discussing in these in these early studies. So one of the things that I want us to start discussing today, and, and I want to get some feedback from you all so that I can kind of gauge what your understanding of this word is, even if you've even ever thought about it or heard about it, so that we can kind of get an understanding. And then I want us to kind of, I want us to kind of evolve that conversation, look at where Scripture, uh, where scripture should be leading us uh, as we think about these things. Um, so biblical inerrancy, and I should have held off on giving you the papers until after I asked the questions, because now y'all are all staring at the answer that I know you should give. <laughs> Don't cheat. You probably already cheated. Um, so what is, can somebody tell me what biblical inerrancy is not? I'll start with that. Since, since you've got the answer for what it is in front of you, let's see if you understand what that what I'm saying or what we're saying whenever we say what, what we're going to answer that biblical inerrancy is. But can anybody give me an example of what biblical inerrancy is not? Just false, false words. Okay, so when you say false words, what do you, what do you mean by false words? What's... Okay, so that would, that would be an answer towards what in, inerrancy is, right? So that would, yeah. So what is it not, right? So, so again, and this is, I, I, I intentionally post it like this because I want you to, I want you to have to think about what it is that I'm asking. So if biblical, and I'm going to go ahead and put this out there so that y'all, y'all have already probably read it. So when we talk about inerrancy, what do we mean? And I'll answer it like this. So inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. I'm going to say that again and I'm going to say it slowly. So when we speak about biblical inerrancy, what do we mean when we use that term? We mean that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. And an easier way of stating that is that the Bible always tells the truth concerning everything that it talks about. So what are things that are excluded by those statements? Like when we think about, and, and you should from that first longer definition there be able to see a couple of points that you should be able to point out as things that we don't mean when we speak to biblical inerrancy. Translations. What we are not saying, when we say that the Bible is inerrant, what we're not saying is that the 500 translations that you could get in English don't contain falsehoods. 
Right? That's not the that's not the claim that we make when we when we speak to biblical inerrancy. We're not speaking that the translations could not fail in some degree. Right? That's not the now what we may say is that those translations are highly accurate or that they get the point across well and some may do it better than others, but what we're not saying is that there can't be mistakes made in translation, right? That's not when we... Uh, do we understand what I mean by that? Like when I say that, like when I say that that's not what we mean by biblical inerrancy, how many of you prior to that statement would have thought that that's what we meant when we spoke of biblical inerrancy? How many, how many of you, right? So nobody, so everybody... So how many... Yeah. In, 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 a in a translation, yes. yes. I, th- I think that um, we can um, fall into that, especially if we are not well, if we are not students of the word, and, and we compare the different, like many translations, to see, and then but when we do rely on those that have gone before, who've dug out the original manuscript. Yes, we rely so heavily, and I've often felt like God preserved his word and that maybe even in the process of translation yeah. God was so you know like he hovers over the face of the deep he hovers over this word yeah and I believe that people can make mistakes but I feel like you know like you said it there's maybe some uh, discrepancies in different like the NIV we know some of those and, yeah. but it just it's like he hovers over it to make the main part yeah, so I want to say a couple of things first. What what I'm not saying is that you can't trust the translations that you hold in front of you, right? That's not what I'm that's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is that when we speak of biblical inerrancy, I don't know what translations will be made in the future. I can make you no promise on the accuracy of that translation, right? I mean, there's like an emoji Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I want us to get I want us to get that when that when the original scriptures were written, English didn't exist, right? Like, so like <laughs> now now there are, there, I, I get you I get you. So there are certain things that we should not exclude from the possi- from possibility though. Like if we want to dig and continue digging, I think that it's important for us to understand. At the very minimum, that men and women throughout history have put in great effort to do that very thing. To go back to the original text, you have, you have what you have before you in English, in part because you trust that a trustworthy process took place to represent the original text. And people died for it. Yes. But what we're not saying is that they could not make error. That is the claim that we make of origin of the original manuscripts. Is that it has no error in it, right? That it has none at all. That's that's a big claim. Do we do we get what like how huge that claim is even? 
Like, do we get what it means for something to be inerrant and for us to stake everything on that? What happens if we found error in it? Does it? This is a question that I want us to wrestle with because as we consider the significance of inerrancy, I want us to ask ourselves the question, what happens if we don't hold that Scripture is inerrant? This is good. I think that do y'all, does everybody get what we're saying when we when like do we see the stakes and how high the stakes are in this? It's like you know saying you know the Bible says do not murder and everybody's like yeah do not murder but then like the Bible says do not covet your neighbor's wife and we're like no I don't know or less yeah less in your heart like well you know that could be wrong like. If we don't take it all as a whole piece as being inerrant, then we can choose yeah. what we want to believe is yeah so so I want us to get I want us to get that that this is not the first time this this questions have been asked and and that so I want us to understand that this is a conversation that has been ongoing should be ongoing and I want us to get that that there are those who are believers who do not hold that scripture is inerrant right there are those who are believers who believe Jesus existed, who believe the Bible's a a source to teach you truth that don't hold to biblical inerrancy. That's a reality. That's not the reality that Mount Carmel itself would hold, right? uh, I I, I feel fairly certain that I could extrapolate that up to even like, like... Southern Baptist as a whole, like the like that the stance is 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 that scripture is inerrant, but not all believers hold to that. So what happens when we start backing away? And and I say that not all believers hold to that because not all believers are well equipped to answer back to the questions that get posed. So the easiest thing to do is to is to try to step, is to try to take one step back from that and say, okay, well maybe it's not inerrant in this area, but it's still good for this area, right? So, like one of the one of the kind of um, with with kind of modern modern pressures, the culture of our time pressing in, bringing all kinds of questions about the trustworthiness of Scripture. Like what what some have done is say, well. Okay, we'll, we'll give you that, that there could be Bibli- that there could be errors there, but it's still right. So that like we'll we'll concede this, but and then they'll take a step back. Now here's the here's the point that I want to make to the significance and the importance of this is that that slope is so slippery that if I allow that. If you allow that, then I could argue you quickly from being a believer to being a non-believer. Right? And I think Brittany points out a good point. Because let's say that your stance was that the Bible speaks spiritual truth. But it does not speak truth towards physical reality. 
Right? Let's say that it were, that, that, that that were to be a stance. Maybe there's some areas in the Old Testament that we're a little nervous about. Like, let's say the opening chapters of Genesis. Maybe those chapters make us a little bit nervous. Is that an accurate representation of what took place? Like, we're kind of in this, we're kind of in this, in this world where, where it, of all places, that might be one of the most significant places where Christians find a hard time answering back to some of the kind of the norms of the day. So let's say that you were to, that you were to take a step back and you were to say, the Bible does not speak when it speaks necessarily truthfully about scientific things or necessarily true about historic things. Let's say that you were to take that standpoint. You were to say, it speaks it speaks spiritual truth without question, but on things of history and science, it doesn't have to be accurate. What if that were your view? What could you see as an argument that I could pose to you that would bring into question your it speaks biblical or it speaks spiritual truth. If exactly if they were if why stop there right like if you're if if the claim that we make is that scripture is God breathed right and from that comes all, like are you responsible. To do what God tells you and commands you to do? Is that a responsibility on your life as a believer? That stems from the authority of Scripture over your life. The authority of, strip, of Scripture, it, 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 it blooms out of the trustworthiness of Scripture. Right. right? So if Scripture is not trustworthy in one part, how can we be certain that it's trustworthy in any part? Yes, it always it always ends there. I think that's an important point to make. Is you may not end there, but your argument does. Does do y'all get do y'all follow that? That you may not hold that to be reality, but that is where your argument or the place on which you stand ends. Right? Here's what's at stake: objective moral reality is at stake. What does that mean? What is, object, what is objective morality? That something's truly wrong or right. And we got to have a defining point of where morality starts. And where does, where does moral reality find its basis? Well, it, ultimately it finds its basis in God. But how do we know who God is? God has spoken to us, we claim, through His Scripture, through His Word. Right? Somebody like 
you know, Paul that we know was a murderer and he had all these issues going on and then boom, all of a sudden he's saved and he's writing the majority of the Bible to us. New Testament, so yeah. What you got is those non-believers or me as a non-believer saying, man just wrote that. You know, man makes mistakes. So yeah, there's going to be mistakes in it because everybody makes mistakes. And you definitely go back to the Moses and yeah. Yeah. I think this is a yeah. So so here's here's the point, and and I think this is where that that argument starts to get made is that would would now we've got the Ten Commandments, and we get a picture from Scripture that Moses wrote that God wrote them. Like he wrote them. But scripture itself, the scripture that we come in contact with, was written, like physically penned by who? By men. Men fail. Men make mistakes. Do they not? Why not in scripture? Would the, the, that's what the argument would say. Then why, why, why not in scripture? lay it all out and do comparative. Like we can go from Genesis to Revelations. We can compare them on this side. Like yeah, you know, I think there's an, I think there's important there's an important thing that, that we have to get so so we make a claim. Your strength of holding to that claim, I can add nothing to that. Right? There is an aspect of this understanding that requires you to put in effort. Unless you just want to trust me. Right? Unless you just want to trust me. So you could, given the lifetimes that you have, put in an immense amount of effort to fact check as much as possible the text itself. Look for those errors. Have any of you ever gone through a study to where you've tried to identify the problem text in Scripture? Anybody? I've just done it on specific translations. So like, yeah. like one in uh, the NIV. I did like check, check, yeah. check all the different to see uh, if it robbed that text of its main point. You know, yeah. So what you were doing is you were checking you were checking the trans the accuracy of translation and you were you were comparing one translation with another are there differences like what understanding could could I come to from one or the other at any point did you step back and try to get an understanding of what the original wording like you'll find preachers oftentimes doing this they'll refer to this is what it says in the yes, sir, this is what it says in the yeah yeah. Now most of most yeah most of the time you're probably who's who's the scholar in in Greek Hebrew in here no so you're going to be relying to some degree on the 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 work that someone else has put forward there so but here's the thing here's the reality of that is that you don't have to stop there right like you could press deeper in right. And this, like, this is one point that I want to make here is that you live in a time where the, the resources for you are available like, like no other time in history. So you are without excuse 
in many of these things. But the excuse that you will put up is I haven't looked at or haven't had the time. To anyone who would press me on these things, I would sit down with you and go through tirelessly each and every problem that you had. And do you know what? I'm confident because I haven't done this. I haven't done this sweepingly to every single problem. I want to let that be be known ahead of time, right? I haven't done every single one, but I have done many, 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 and I have seen a pattern fall out each and every time. Is that the Scripture has convinced me of its accuracy? And this is the part where I say, to some extent, you must, if you have these questions and these questions are genuine to you and not just a way of you throwing off this as though it's something, don't think that the resources aren't available, right? So like, if someone comes to pressure you on your understanding, don't be fearful of it. You don't live in some time where you can't... You can't gain access to those resources. You live in the information age. Make use of what's available to you. Most people don't, won't. And it's not because they can't. It's because they're lazy or they don't care. Right? That's the reality. Right? That's the reality. So I want us to consider that. With, with, with that out there, with our understanding of what's on the line for us with biblical inerrancy, I want us to think about a couple of things. Just I've got three points that I, that, I'm, that I kind of put out on this paper that I want us to consider. Because here's when you're, when you're dealing with, with, with the potential for errors in Scripture, there's a couple of ways that these will tend to come about. And what, we want to, what I want us to do kind of this morning is address some of these and consider the implications of, of it being done another way, right? And, and this is the same type of approach that I would take if somebody expected God to give us quantum physics. I would be like, 99% of you wouldn't understand it if He'd said it like that, right? Like, we get a lot of pressures today that think that it needs to come with some biblical or some, like, ungodly amount of precision. Like, God can't speak to us in common everyday language when if He had spoken to us with the reality of the knowledge that He has, not one of you would understand it, right? Now, that's the reality, Right? When we talk about precision, I want us to think about that too, because a lot of the issues that people are going to bring to the table with this are going to be matters of precision. And I want us to ask, how far do you live from the church? Can somebody give me an idea of how far they live from the church? 20 minutes. Now, you said 20 minutes. Does Morgan live 20 minutes from the church? <laughs> now here's what here's what I want us to get. When Morgan tells us that she lives twenty minutes from the church, I can say Morgan lives twenty minutes from the church. What she's not saying is that she lives precisely twenty minutes. And that if it was twenty minutes and one microsecond from her getting in her car and getting there, that she would have told us a lie. And that if it took her 15 minutes because she'd stepped on the gas, she's not telling us a lie, right? So that's a matter of precision. Do we get that? Like, do we, do y'all, when I say precision, like, and here's the, here's the reality, is that there's none of you who speak in everyday terms precisely, right? 
nor do you expect anyone to speak to you in that way. So precision is not the measure by which we say that it's truthful or not, right? That's that's one that's one point that I want us to make that I want us to make here is that if one of the biblical authors lays claim to a certain precision and holds to that precision, then yes. So if Morgan were to add to her wording and she said, "I live exactly without question twenty minutes from here," I'm going to say, "Get in your car. I'm going to time you." <laughs> Right? Yes. So, so precision. Yes. So, but we can we can make those differentiations, right? Right? Like we we get that. Like if I ask any of you how much money you have in the bank, you could give me a roundabout number, and that would be truth truth worthy. But if you said I had exactly, and then listed a number down to the decimal places, and then it was off from that. By a penny. That would be a lie. That would be untrue, right? So those are matters of precision. Do we see that? So those are some places where questions come. So like uh, another one of these. So I have kind of a one of the points that I make here. Um, it can that the that the Bible can be inerrant, and that it can hold to the use of everyday speech, like everyday speech for us. Did the sun rise this morning? Did it though? Did it though? Like. Like, did the sun rise this morning or did the earth rotate on its axis? Right? It depends on who you're... Yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. It depends on the context of the situation. And it depends on the information that you're trying to convey. Right? We've got lied. Yeah. Right? Do we get, like, do y'all, do y'all follow why that's an important thing? Right? Is it because... Yeah. Time that people at that point would understand. Yeah. You know, so when you when you got up this morning, right? Yes. You you got up. Did you though? Like I'm asking you the question. Did you though? Like what if what if up is measured by by north like like the poles and you really got up laterally, <laughs> right? Like depending on the point of reference, I could mix. And mutate, you, I could make you a liar on any point that I wanted, simply by changing the point of reference, right? So, like when we when we converse and we use everyday language, we understand what we mean by that, and we understand that there are certain circumstances in which more precision is needed as well, right? Like, uh, like if so, if 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 my if my wife called me and she said. Um, Something's happened to the kids and I'm going to the hospital. Like, I'm going to need some precision there. Because you could mean Jasper. You could mean UAB. You could mean children's. Like, I'm going to need some more precision. You're going to have to be like, are, are you going? Be- yeah, exactly. Are you going because somebody's fell and broke their leg and this is an emergency? Or are you going because it's like, okay, we've got a fever again? Like, like the the context of the situation determines the the necessity for precision, right? So, like, when I speak to you and I say the sun rose this morning, or I say I got up out of bed, like you get. And understand, I don't have to, like, I could play games and I could use different points of references, but you would easily understand that that's what was going on there, right? So what we don't mean, and what I would say is, would be contrary to even the situation when you're speaking about the the potential for errors, is that you're not 
laying a weight on Scripture. What if you were born like the? I think a lot of times we lay what we find is is a particular weight being placed on Scripture that's that's in no way makes sense to the way that we live our normal everyday lives, right? So like God is not speaking untruth when he when when the writers of his scripture from their frame of reference from their point of view see the sun rise right god does not need to then side note let me put down at the bottom here's the equations for the way that the universe works so that you can have this absolute point of reference by which to work by which 99% of the earth would have zero clue Yes. And here's another thing that we don't mean when we speak about inerrancy is that we're not saying that the Bible speaks on every matter. Right? It doesn't deal with quantum physics because that's not the point. Right? That's not the point. So what it speaks to, it speaks to with 100% truthfulness. But inerrancy does not mean that it that it needs to speak to every truth in reality, right? There's kind of there's there's systematic theology, which is what we're doing. There's various ways of approaching theology from looking at scripture itself, and then there's this whole other realm that theologians would call natural theology. If you're interested in that, I could get you some books. There's some super interesting stuff there. Most of it is more intellectual pursuits than anything else. But but there there are things out there that that, that kind of look and, and and kind of explore like the thing that God's created because Romans chapter 1 would would tell us that that God's made himself known in the things that he's made right so like so there's it's worth exploring those things because I think as we look into God's creation we can know about who he is we can see that he's consistent that he that we, like we can know very broad things about him what what nature and natural theology could never do for us is tell us that he sent Christ to die on a cross so that we could know him on an intimately personal level right that's why that's why we preach the gospel. That's why there's no excuse because they can see in creation all that he's done, but creation cannot save them. The gospel must be preached to them, right? So that there's there's nothing when we consider biblical inerrancy that says that we can't speak in common um, everyday terms. Uh, inerrancy also does not require direct quotation, and you see that on the handout I've got direct quotation in quotes. Um, let's just get first that the original language does not have the same type punctuation that we use today. So we can't hold it to that requirement either. We can't say to it, like, why didn't you put a comma there? When it's like, you, that's kind of a relatively new grammatical thing, tool by which we work with today, right? So we're, we're not applying grammatical rules of today on the original scripture, like that makes no that makes no sense for us to do, considering that when scripture was written, your language didn't exist, right? 
And that if you were to apply those, if you were to take that, take that same type logic, you were to rewind to some point in the future where the, la- where the languages of today have evolved into some way where they're, they're maybe only tangentially, re- tangentially related to the language that you know. And you know this happens, right? Like, if you're, if you've lived any amount of age, you know how the young folks talk. And they'll say stuff sometimes and you'll be like, what? Like I, I hear you using English, but it's like that makes no sense. What is that? What is that? Wretched, wretched, or ratchet, whatever. Like it's like, what does that mean? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like that's a tool, man. Like <laughs> now you're using that to describe the way you look. Like, <laughs> but but you see, like this happens even in our small window of time. So compound that over and over and over and over on itself. Language evolves. So you want to apply your strict set of rules from your window in time to all history? How about you let God do it the way that He has done it? Right? Like that process has worked. And it's worked well. Right? It's worked very well. So like, direct quotations is one of those. Because people will come and they'll did you just say that exactly? Well, if they said He said that exactly, then yes. If it's easy to see that they were just letting you know what he's saying, that's good enough, right? They're not required, nor was it necessarily their cultural approach that when they would say something that it was a direct quote. Like if mom, if I say to, if I say to, to my mother that Adrian said this or that, would she expect that she said those things word for word? Or that I was giving her a, a kind of a, uh, a general idea of what she said, right? You think that I was giving... You would not expect an exact word for word. Now, if I'm writing you a letter and I put in quotes, Adrian said, and then I put in... Like, like I'm... Uh, and we use direct quoting as a means of saying this is word for word what they said. Then what you would expect then is that that was what they said, Right? So like one of the things that I want us to get, when we, especially when we consider like the way that quotations are used, oftentimes you'll see quotations of Scripture be ridiculously precise. Like if New Testament authors... Are we, are we done already? Oh, we are getting close. Um, so let's do this. Let's continue this conversation next week, if that's cool with y'all. Y'all be bringing any questions that you might have. Um, we'll kind of dig into this one more time next week. Um, and then when we wrap up next week, we'll go into kind of the history of the church's understanding of these particular things. Um, with that said, I'm going to kind of bring this to an end and then uh, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up next week.